I've never lied to you. Your Bible is full of lies. Your sky God makes no sense. If he was all perfect, why don't he come down and do something? If he can heal everybody in a minute, why doesn't he heal them all? Why do he make all these different races to fight and to kill? Why does he bring some into the world born blind? America, 1973. Christian America. Jehovah's America. Bible America, 1973. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain by following me. Why don't you deny yourself? Why don't you deny yourself? Why don't you say yes to this cause and no to that slave system? I thank you. I thank you. I thank you because my words are spirit and my words are life. This is a revolution that will heal you. This is a father that will save you. This is one that will shepherd you through every storm. morning of November 18, 1978, started out like many other mid-November days in Guyana. It was hot and very humid. The sun rose with the sound of howler monkeys in the jungle and bugs buzzing throughout the People's Temple Agricultural Projects compound, more commonly known as Jonestown. However, November 18, 1978 would be different. Eleven members of the People's Temple snuck through the jungle in the middle of the night, sensing something was about to go very wrong. There were whispers around Jonestown that morning as People's Temple members lined up for breakfast. Not only had eleven members fled through the jungle overnight, but Jim Jones hadn't left his cabin yet and was nowhere to be seen. When Jim finally appeared, just around noon that day, he was wearing a clean red shirt, khaki pants, and his trademark dark sunglasses. Jim was going to have to face years of questions regarding the People's Temple and Jonestown. Jim was cornered by an NBC film crew and questioned at length about why people wanted to leave Jonestown and what was really going on there. As the stress of the situation rose, a massive storm blew into Jonestown. The stormy season was typically at the end of the month in Guyana, but they were used to a storm here and there. However, this was a downpour of rain and wind from black clouds. Jonestown survivor Tim Carter recalled, quote, It felt like evil blowing into Jonestown. Jim Jones was a charismatic yet disturbed man. He was always able to pull people in to the fullest extent of belief in him, no matter what it took and who he had to portray himself as to get there. His entire mission was to be the head of what he had viewed as the perfect socialist community of followers, and he would do this by any means necessary. He knew how to prey on those who were at their weakest, those who sought to find a place to belong or a group who had the same belief system and wanted to work together to make a real change in the world. He had no problem changing the subjects he would choose to preach depending on the crowd he was preaching to. He would mold himself to be whatever he knew you were looking for in life. Jones had a way with words and enthusiasm to influence the masses and build strong connections with them. 
To understand Jim Jones more, we first need to understand what factors played into the man Jones would become and how it led to the murder of 918 people. As a child, I was undoubtedly one of the poor in the community. I had less of material comforts, although my mother made every effort to give me what she could. My dad was ill and invalid from World War II, World War I, a very bitter, cynical person. He spent so much time being engrossed in his own pain that he finally debilitated his health. Finally, his health totally was destroyed. There's a little town in Indiana. The moment I think of it, a great deal of pain comes. I don't think I shall mention it, although later we brought out, because it's no way reflecting upon individuals, just a little Hoosier town on the Ohio line. James Warren Jones was born on May 13, 1931, to James Thurman Jones and Lynetta Putman Jones. Though her name has changed many times before finally setting on Lynetta, Lynetta was an interesting woman to say the least. She was what could only be described as the most difficult woman to be around just for the sake of being difficult. Her marriage to Jim Sr. would be her third marriage at 25 years old. Jim Sr. was a disabled World War I veteran who had severe lung damage from a German gas attack, leaving him physically and mentally impaired for the rest of his life. Despite his impairments, Lynetta had no issues marrying him as he was born into a wealthy family and with her grandiose ideals of herself, this would make for an easier life. She was wrong in every way. Jim Sr. was in bad shape and earning little money, so Lynetta had to work in order to provide for herself and Jim Sr., even though Jim Sr.'s family provided for them with their own farm. She worked a small job in a factory but was struggling to keep up with her job and the farm. With the threat of losing their farm, she tried to think of a way to be able to find financial help from Jim Sr.'s family. Though she never wanted to be a mother, Lynetta decided that a child would be the saving grace in getting help from Jim Sr.'s family. In one of Lynetta's grandiose visions, she saw the quote, Egyptian river of death. Before she was about to cross the river, she saw her mother who told her it was not her time to die as she was bound for great things and would give birth to a child who would become a great man. In the fall of 1930, Lynetta announced that she was pregnant. Jim Sr.'s health was steadily declining by this point, and the family was no longer able to keep their farmhouse. As Lynetta hoped, Jim Sr.'s family stepped in and purchased the family a small home in Lynn, Indiana, with the majority of their finances taken care of. Lynetta was told they would continue to help her family until Jim was old enough for school, and then she would have to get a job to provide for the majority of the bills. Lynetta eventually found a job at a glass factory while Jim would attend school. When he wasn't in school, Lynetta would not allow him inside the house. Jim then took to the streets, finding older women who would take him in and feed him. One woman named Myrtle Kennedy was very fond of Jim, taking him along with her to the local Nazarene church. Jim took interest in the pastor and how he was able to draw attention from so many people. He then joined all the churches in the area learning what it was that the pastors preached and how they were able to enthrall all the members. Jim loved the idea of being able to have followers and the power that came along with it. Thus, I acted out against the conformities in the community. 
first way because I was never accepted. I didn't feel accepted. I joined a Pentecostal church, the most extreme Pentecostal church, the oneness, because they were the most despised. They were the rejects of the community. I uh, found immediate acceptance, and I must say, in all honesty, as much love as I could interpret love. They were persecuted beyond measure for their beliefs. But after some time, intellectually I outgrew Pentecostalism, but still a rebel, still not a part of the society, never accepted, born as it were on the wrong side of the tracks. At this time, the United States was in the middle of World War II, and while most boys played as soldiers for the U.S. Army, Jim chose to play Hitler. It wasn't Hitler's beliefs that enthralled Jim, but his ability to control the masses. Jim would gather younger children to play as Nazi soldiers, while Jim would play the role of Hitler. He would have them marching, and if they would mess up, he would whip them on the back of their legs with a stick. He chose younger children as they wanted the attention from an older child and would put up with more than a child his own age would. Jim was always viewed as an odd child. One of the things he would enjoy doing was to gather local kids together to hold funerals for dead animals he would find. If the kids would try to leave, Jim would bully them into staying. As time passed, Jim Sr.'s health steadily declined. Lynetta and Jim grew tired of it and packed up their belongings and moved to Richmond, Indiana, leaving Jim Sr. behind. They started a new life and forgotten their life in Lynn, including Jim Sr., who eventually passed away from respiratory complications in 1947. Since all funds were cut off when they decided to leave Jim Sr. behind, Jim had to find work. He found a job as an orderly at the Reed Memorial Hospital. Jim was great at his job. He had a way with people and showed real care towards them. He took on tasks such as cleaning the seriously ill with empathy and was always lighthearted in making them feel cared for. Families always felt that Jim was very kind, a person who understood them and their hardships. One night in 1947, Marcelin Baldwin, a nursing student, was assigned to clean up a body to prepare for the undertaker to pick up. This was a difficult task so she asked for an orderly to help her. The orderly assigned to her was Jim Jones. Marcelin watched as Jim prepared the elderly woman with compassion. The care he put forth impressed Marcelin. After that night, the two seemed inseparable. Jim told Marcelin stories of his grandiose endeavors and immediately started manipulating her. He spoke of a time he left a barber shop midway through a haircut because the barber had refused a black customer. He had made sure to tell her that he was a good Christian man, as it played into her beliefs and helped solidify their relationship. On June 12, 1949, Jim Jones and Marcelin Baldwin were married. Not long after they were married, Marcelin discovered the real Jim Jones. He wasn't the Christian man he had once claimed to be. He explained to her he was actually an atheist and couldn't believe in a God that would allow such suffering. There were very intense arguments about Jim's socialist beliefs along with his non-belief in Marcelin's God, as he called it. So much so that Marcelin was almost immediately thinking of divorce, 
but because divorce was something that was frowned upon in her family, they begged her to work it out with Jim. Well, I'm really heart and mind with you. I'm, uh, you know, an agnostic. We have a, some emphasis on the terms of paranormal because uh, it brings results. Uh, there is something to therapeutic healing. All medical science is proven, but we don't link that with any kind of causative factor of a loving God. Off the record, I don't believe in any loving God. Our people, I would say, are 90% atheist. Uh, we, we think Jesus Christ was a swinger. He taught some pretty damn good things. Uh, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, uh, maybe a little paternalistic, but still uh, all the emphasis of the judgment of character. The only time he ever mentioned judgment at all was in Matthew 25 and had to do totally with what we were doing for other people. I must say I've felt somewhat hypocritical for the last years as I became uh, an atheist. I have become, uh, you, you feel uh, tainted. Uh, by being in the church situation. But of course everyone knows where I'm at. My bishop knows that I'm an atheist. He, he knows that I, I, I recognize only love when I say, I'll say God is love. Well, you heard my preaching, you right? know where I'm at. Uh, I don't keep it any secret. Though Jim had no religious beliefs, he still attended church regularly with Marcelin and also brought her along to black churches as he found these churches more interesting. It was the summer of 1952. Jim decided to take on the role Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a student pastor at a local Methodist church at the age of 21, and he felt that he had finally found his role in life, Jim started using revival circuits to work on his preaching. He was excellent at memorizing people's names and would walk around the crowds before services and would listen to people's conversations, picking up on their names and any ailments they may be discussing. When it was his turn to preach, he was able to call on people and discuss their illnesses without their knowledge of him overhearing it earlier. This was impressive to everyone, including Marcelin. They truly believed he could read their minds. Love is a healing remedy. We're going to reach out to areas where man has seemed to have difficulty. As we concentrate that the gifts of the Holy Spirit might function or what the secularist might speak of as the paranormal, let us believe. Let us believe. Sister Ingram, you're concerned about the losing, losing of your sight. You're not able to see me clearly. Things just blur to you. You have to stumble around lately through crowds and are not able to see even people's faces close up to you clearly. That's true. You've told me nothing about your condition. That no, I haven't. Give that little sweetheart a little bit of love. Thank you, baby. Now, 
take your glasses off. Let's just dare in our faith. We've seen Sister Brown here who was blind, totally healed. Saw one of our sisters blind from her childhood. It could be hysterical blindness, whatever. We're not concerned. She was blind and could not see. Now, look at my face. I'm going to hold up some fingers. You concentrate hard. I love you. The people love you. And most importantly, Christ loves you. What do you see? How many fingers? Three. One finger. You don't even need your glasses, child. Let's all, let's all be thankful as she cries back there. Let's cry and rejoice with her. Word spread fast of the young prophet, and Jim knew how to be a showman. He made sure his healings were dramatic enough to get the crowd going in order to preach his real message of integration. He knew this was the path he wanted to be on, as being a student preacher for a Methodist church had grown old to him, as he was unable to preach how he chose to. So, in 1954, Jones decided he was going to open a storefront church in a low-income black community and name it Community Unity, because everyone would be welcome. Community unity grew in number each week. Jones had a different approach than most churches. He started each Sunday off by asking members if they had anything bothering them. For an example, one black elderly woman raised her hand one day and explained to Jones about how the electrical company wanted their money for the month even though she had issues with her electric that needed repaired. The company would not listen to her and demanded payment or else they would shut her electric off. She was worried for her family and asked if she should just pay the bill without the repairs being done. Jones immediately had Marceline get a pen and paper and said that they would write a letter. He had the entire congregation come up with ideas of what to write in this letter and personally delivered this letter to the electric company. That following week, he asked the woman if things were going well for her and she stated that the electric company did in fact come out and made the repairs she was asking for. Jim would tell the congregation that if they came to his church, things would get better and he would get things done for them that other churches could not. Slowly, the crowd grew larger and larger each month. Jim had bigger plans that required money. Running a small storefront church and spending all of his time working with the people cost them most of Marceline's income. He wanted to open a larger church along with a soup kitchen that would feed everyone, not just the homeless. With big aspirations, he knew he needed to come up with a way to bring in more. Jones decided to hit the revival circuit again. He knew how many healings he had to do to keep the crowds. He turned to healing cancers by using chicken guts and plants in the crowds. His sermons at the circuits would pull in thousands of people with hundreds having to be turned away. Word around town spread of a preacher who could heal cancer and more and more people started attending Sunday services at Community Unity. Is there someone by the name of Catherine something like Lissom? Sounds something like that in my mind. In Los Angeles. 
You live someplace on 35th Street somewhere. Sure do. I see a child, Terry. Who is this child? That's um, my husband's nephew. George. That's my husband. You've spoken to no one here, have you? I sure haven't. I'm stopping a paralytic stroke in your husband. Your husband's blood pressure would cause him to have a stroke this Wednesday, but not now. Oh, thank you, dear. But I'm not through. I'm not through. There's someone else by the name of Jordan. Yes, Lord. This will also save their life. That's dear. They have red, red kind of condition in their eyes. There's a breaking in their corpuscles. It will cause blindness. Just place a cloth on them and it'll take care of it. Yes, now you have trouble in your chest. I sure do. You spit up blood. Sure do. Can't get your breath. Sure can. Well, I'm going to take care of it. At last, you're going to spit up. We're going to get rid of the problem. You can't hardly walk. can't hardly get around. I sure can. Oh, thank you. Your mother's suffering. She's suffering in pain in her back. Yes. Even now. Seventy-some years old. Yes, you. This cloth sent across the many miles will relieve her of her pain. Oh, thank you, Jim. Now, my child, one of the nurses or a couple of them will assist you. You have cancer that is blocking you. Now, this bronical problem has developed into cancer and it's going to be eliminated now and you're going to be able to move. Your heart is bad also. Oh, thank crippled you. in your back, but we're going to see the spirit move you as easy as it would be for a breeze to move a feather. Hands clasped. Let the spirit move. Let the spirit move. Sister, you get, I think you're close enough to me. Now, if you will, just begin to try to regurgitate. That is to vomit. Get this up. You've got artificial knees. You're walking on artificial knees, but it's a wonder, isn't it? It's a miracle what can be done. Spirit, let it go, let it go. Just come on up. Come on up. It is a privilege that God is here to deal in your affairs. And I am moving, I'm condescending in your body now and loosing. I'm loosening those, those roots. Now they're coming, now they're, they're free. They're free, just spit them on up. Spit them on up. The simplest thing is not impossible, but the impossible thing is just simple for God. Just let the spirit, just let it move on out. There it is, there it is, there it is. terrible they, they smelled horribly and they taste horribly as they loose often nearly always they do eventually jones purchased an old jewish temple for his new church location and since the word temple was carved on the front of the building he chose the name people's temple without the apostrophe because that would imply ownership and that was not the message he wanted to send jones had big dreams for the people's temple and knew in order to accomplish them 
he would need some political background and standing. Marceline, being the daughter of a former city councilman, took to attending public meetings and taking notes on anything and everything. She would bring Jones up to date on every social issue and would prepare him for meetings when he would accompany her and speak out on issues. The leaders of the meetings took notice to him and he was eventually appointed director of the local human rights by Indianapolis Mayor Charles Boswell. This would allow Jones to bring more help to the lower income black communities. Marceline was a key factor in their financial gain. Many members of the People's Temple were elderly women, many of which were in nursing homes. Jones would visit these women regularly and notice the lack of proper care for them. So Marceline decided to take matters into her own hands by turning their home into a state-certified nursing home. Marceline received high compliments from state board members for her care of these women and soon was able to purchase many of the local nursing homes and continued to run them. And now we have a minister and his wife here from back east and uh, we're so happy to have them receive two children from our orphanage today and uh, I want them to come right now. Mr. and Mrs. Jones, God bless you. Ms. Jones, I understand. God bless you, Ma Reverend Jones. And I understand that uh, you're a registered nurse. Yes, is that right? That's right. Well, Lorraine Jost, our director, is a, a registered nurse. And I know that's going to be a big help with yes, those children. It has been already. Don't you kind of uh, spend part of your time ministering to the sick? Yes. Um, our church has a nursing home, a home for the aged, and I work as administrator. Wasn't well, that wonderful? Uh, uh, this pastor and his, his uh, church uh, and his lovely wife uh, uh, operate a, a home for the aged. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. And the needy. And we're so glad. And, and Mr. Uh, uh, I want to call you... Uh, long but it's jones i don't know why i want to call you reverend long but uh i wonder if you could give us just a little of your background how you got into uh, the, the ministry and something about your church we're interested in and uh, your work back there surely your hands are full this lady directs a home for the aged and her husband has a church and he operates it without salary he receives no salary is that right That's correct. and you make uh, your you have your other income from other sources mm -hmm. and so how did you get into all this and now you want two babies just a desire to help people primarily is the reason we've had a great interest in breaking down barriers between all races and nations and creeds and that's the primary reason brother jordan that we have entered into the field i see. certainly have been pleased to come in contact with your work with newfound income from the nursing homes, Jones was able to then purchase a restaurant that he named The Free Restaurant. They would serve thousands of homeless and needy people each day a free hot meal, and when they were finished eating, they were told to pick out a new set of clothes that might not have been new, but they were always clean. Free clothes and free food. This was Jim Jones's perfect vision of socialism. As the temple grew with members, more children were present. Jones and Marceline loved the children being there and always made sure to include them in services. Jones started youth groups and youth choirs to keep the children busy, promoting that it's better to keep them occupied rather than on the quote, slum streets. Even though the People's Temple was really forming into everything Jones had hoped for, it still wasn't enough. Rumors spread of a man doing everything Jones was doing, but on a bigger scale. He was bigger and better than Jones, and to Jim Jones, that just wasn't going to happen. In New York's Harlem, 
The new squire of Cromelbo is better known as Father Divine, whose thousands of followers loudly hail him as God on Earth. Fearful of being misquoted, Father Divine edits his own newspaper, The New Day, which carries the advertising of Divine-approved enterprises entitled to display the Divine slogan, Peace and Thank You, Father. Promised Land is a Cordell Media podcast. All audio clips from Promised Land come from the Jonestown Institute. For more information, visit their website at jonestown.sdsu.edu. Follow us on social media at Promised Land Cast and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.